Hi, this is Oliver Bear, author, editor of Letters to the Editor of Cthulhu Sex Magazine and Bear Soul, and you're listening to the HP Lovecast Podcast. Hello and welcome to HP Lovecast Presents Transmissions, where we collect brief interviews by creators with new or upcoming projects. We'll open each one with a guest reading an excerpt of their project and then follow up with an interview proper. Transmissions will post on the last day of each month. My name is Nicholas Dyack. I'm a pop culture scholar of Peplum Films, Industrial Music, Horror Studies, and the editor of The New Peplum from McFarland. And I am Michelle Brittany, editor of James Bond in Popular Culture and the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space. I write on all things pop culture with a special emphasis on horror and spy genres. Nicholas and I co-edited Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern, also from McFarland. In this episode, we interview Amy Greck, author of the short story Cold Comfort, and Catherine McCarthy, author of Miss and Megalith, and the upcoming novella, Immortal. Our first interview is with Amy Gregg. She's a prolific short story writer with over 100 short stories published in various anthologies and magazines, including a New York State of Fright and Apex magazine. Today, Amy will be talking about her bone-chilling short story, Cold Comfort, which appears in The One That Got Away, Women of Horror Anthology, Volume 3, edited by Jill Garardi and published by Candisha Press. Jack Massick woke with a start and flinched when he felt someone resting next to him on the spacious bed in a strange bedroom. Everything here had a place, including him. He waited anxiously for his eyes to adjust to the darkness while he tried to make sense of it all. Jack looked around and groaned when he realized where he was. Another strange woman's apartment, much larger and neater than his cramped studio. Waking up in strange places next to women he hardly knew had become a kinky rut, purely spontaneous, especially if he'd been drinking. He thought for a minute, struggling to recall the woman's name. Lately, they'd become a random jumble of desire, fueled by his insatiable libido. A moment later, it came to him, Sadie O'Grady. It fit her perfectly, given her bright red hair and wild temperament. Hello, Amy Greck. Welcome to the show. It's so wonderful to see you. Thank you for having me. So you have a short story called Cold Comfort. Tell us all about it. Yes, it's a story set in New York City on a bone-chilling night where a chance encounter becomes an unlikely obsession. I wrote Cold Comfort after living on the Upper East Side of Manhattan briefly. I've lived in Brooklyn for over 25 years. The Upper East Side was a little too expensive. So I went back to Brooklyn. Um, But my boyfriend um, at the time had recently broken up with me and I thought he was the one, but instead he was the one that got away, which coincidentally is the title of the anthology, which uh, Cold Comfort appears. And uh, writing this story was sort of my way of grieving. 
the loss of, of the sky. What's the term so, serendipity when the, the title kind of, the book title matches the... Yeah, it does seem like it was serendipity. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was good for something in the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think that, uh, the next question uh, kind of follows nicely with that, and that is uh, what elements of this story do you feel uh, make it stand out compared to other stories of, of this ilk? There are a couple. Actually, um, Ross Jeffrey had recently reviewed uh, the one that got away anthology. Uh, I think it was on his YouTube channel. And um, it was, he gave me a very flattering uh, comment. And he said that my story was chock full of prose magic. Uh, how the characters interact seamlessly with one another and the dialogue is effortless. So um, that, that really... Uh, was a nice pat on the back. Um, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the fun things about the story is that um, the antagonist is a woman. The bad guy is actually uh, a girl in this case. So I was sort of um, flipping the script on uh, conventions, if you will. And the, the other domineering woman in the story is, uh, well, Sadie O'Grady is the antagonist and uh, Jack Massick is the main character. Uh, he picks up Sadie on a bar, in a bar on the Upper East Side. And his girlfriend, Amy Kiernan, happens to be an NYPD police officer. And that comes into play uh, in the story in a couple of ways. So what are you most proud of about this story? I know it came kind of from a personal background, a little bit of a heartbreak background, but what are you proud of about it? Mm -hmm. I'm proud of the way that I've, I've captured uh, New York City for people who haven't been there. People who've read the story said that uh, the city came alive for them. I, I captured the hustle and bustle, like pre-COVID, of course, mm -hmm. uh, the hustle and bustle, but then a lot of the story takes place in Central Park later in the, in the uh, plot. And that sort of uh, a pocket of calm and a whirlwind of chaos is the uh, language I use to describe uh, the park and the story. Wonderful. Um, I, I really like when a story is set somewhere kind of real. So that way you get it. It's almost like you get to travel with the writer. So yeah. that's very neat. It's, I like that. Um, Always, I, I feel like when we're, when we're writing, we discover something about ourselves. And I was just wondering, what did you discover about yourself in writing this story? Basically, go where your muse takes you is, uh, is one thing. Um, cold comfort, I was lucky it evolved organically. Uh, and I like to say I'm merely the conduit for uh, the twisted tales that my muse sorts of, sort of uh, presents to me. And I don't develop every idea that comes along. I have a notebook actually, I'll jot down story ideas, but some of them, uh, I'll come back to them a week or two later, the ideas, and then they don't make sense anymore. So I'll scrap some of them. And finally, Amy, what's the primary thing that you wanna accomplish with this story of yours? Well, Cold Comfort is actually kind of a cautionary tale. And I wanted to, uh, explore the unintentional consequences of romantic entanglements. And a big hint is, is rope is involved in the story. 
literally and figuratively. I don't want to give too much away in that regard, but uh, had a lot of fun with that as well. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, Amy, remind us again uh, what collection uh, this story is in. Sure, it's in the One That Got Away anthology, which just published a couple of months ago. All right, Amy, thank you so much for popping on to talk about Cold Comfort. We hope it's super yep. successful for you and continues to be super well received. Thank you for having me, guys. Take care. And that was Amy Greck. We are now going to take a short break and return back with Catherine McCarthy. Welcome back to the second half of Transmissions. Catherine McCarthy is a Welsh writer of dark tales set in her native Wales. Past stories include Door and Other Twisted Tales and Hope Cottage. Today, Catherine joins us to talk about her new collection, Myths and Megaliths, and her upcoming novella, Immortal, which will be published by Off Limits Press this July. Her reading is from the short story, Cablanock. The old man in the fair isle sweater sits and stares at the view beyond the patio door. Decades of coal dust nestle in lungs that rattle like a percolator as he breathes. They're coming, soon, he mutters, though no one pays any heed. Bony hands veined like a 3D road map, flex and release as he grips the wooden arms of the chair. They're coming, soon. His teeth sit patiently in a glass beside him. They have heard these words before. Sometimes they speak the words for him. Through glassy eyes he stares at the distant mountain spellbound, a giant cloaked in rust-red bracken that disguises 60,000 tons of spoil, like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Fossils, fossils and ghosts, he thinks, though no one believes him. He tilts his head back and listens. faint, far away. He waits, knowing they will come when they are ready. Good day, Catherine. Welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you. You have a brand new collection out, Mists and Megaliths. Tell us all about it. Thank you, Nicholas and Michelle, for inviting me today. You've been so kind in the, the build-up to this. I really appreciate your time. Um, Myths and Megaliths is a collection of 10 dark tales, all of which are set in Wales, UK, the country I've always lived. Um, the stories in Myths and Megaliths range from classic ghost stories to a dark comedy, and there's even one about um, with a co cosmic horror theme. I do have to say the title Myths and Megaliths I love, but... I'm a big sucker for alliteration. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Me too. 
Catherine, what was the catalyst for your collection? The first stories I wrote, well, the very first one was Two's Company, Three's a Shroud, the one that Nicholas likes, the comedy, the dark comedy. (laughs) It was my first attempt at dark comedy, actually, and um, it was for um, an anthology call by Jill Girardi of Candisha Press. She runs a women's horror press. Um, And she put out a call. I sort of got to know Jill a little bit before this, but she put out a call and she specifically asked for dark comedy. And just before she put out the call, I'd read um, a newspaper article which stated that in the town where I was, I taught for 28 years, the cemetery, the graveyard was so full that they were having to reclaim graves by digging out old graves. They had to be over 100 years old and then burying, you know, recently deceased people on top of the old graves. And I thought about how that town, because it was um, an industrial town, I thought about how much that town had changed over the century and how sort of people from present day would feel if they were you know sort of ending up in a grave with someone from a hundred years ago so I did a completely contrasting character from you know a wealthy um landowner um to the guy who was typical of Merthyr Tidville the town that I'm talking about so that was how that one sort of came about you know spurred from a a real story in a newspaper. Um, I was a little bit concerned. I did say to Nicholas that it, it, the humour is very Welsh values, and I was a little bit scared that um, other people wouldn't sort of understand it. But it's been mentioned as quite a few people's favourites, so obviously that's coming through okay. Um, this, and then, and then, not long after, I did a sec. I wrote a second story, Carrig Samson, which is the final one in the collection. That one was for an invited. Um, anthology call from Diabolica Britannica. It's a charity anthology that we would raised all the money for the COVID response for the NHS in the UK. And that one is set on the coast not far from where I live. Um, So once I had those two, I thought, well, it might be quite nice to compile a whole collection set in different areas of Wales. So that was how it sort of, that's the catalyst basically. That's how we came about. Very, very cool. And it is a very nice collection. And what do you think about your collection? Like what elements or attributes do you think separate it from other folks' collections? And I want to take a guess it's the very Welsh centricness of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one thing, obviously, you know, and I hope it's accessible to other people. There's very little Welsh language in there, just a few little bits of vocabulary which I explain in the notes. Um if someone's looking for jump scare or gore, they won't find it in Mists and Megaliths. I would say it comes under the umbrella of quiet horror. Um, if someone's looking for a sense of creeping dread, then it, it delivers on that front. That's more my type of horror that I prefer to read and write. I like to um, lull my readers into a false sense of security. I often set my stories in a, a sort of homely atmosphere. For example, in Mists and Megaliths, one of them is set in a cosy inn in the winter. Another one is set on a fishing lake in the heart of a Welsh mountain range. And then when I sort of have my readers lulled into this sort of cosy atmosphere, I sort of 
deliver an unexpected kick to the guts, really. <laughs> and that's where the horror comes in. Um, for example, in Carrick Samson, the final story, when the villagers from the stone quarry, um, they end up being led by supernatural forces to commit suicide in a pretty bleak way. I, I won't say any more because it would sort of spoil the story, but that's what I tend to do, you know, sort of rock the baby and then deliver a blow. <laughs> um, I think the collection hopefully proves as well that I'm able to write a range of stories. And it's been really interesting looking at the reviews to see people's personal favourites. And I know I shouldn't have personal favourites because it's almost like um, choosing between your own children. But I can't help but have a few favourites myself as well. So I think that's it, really. And um, following on that question, Catherine, what would you say are the what's the the element or elements that you're most proud of in this collection? Maybe even your your favorite uh, story, I guess. As a writer in general, I'm most confident about my voice, my writing voice. Um, for example, in Mists and Megalis, one of the stories is told from the point of view of a Cromlech the standing stone so that you know I, I give that that its voice and that ranges then to the story that's set on the fishing lake which is entitled Lua which is told in a second person narrative um, but I've been told lots of times that my author voice is instantly identifiable so I'm sort of quite proud of that. Ramsey Campbell the wonderful horror author <laughs> He actually wrote the foreword for the Diabolica anthology. And if you don't mind, I can give you a little quote of what he said about my story, Carrick Samson. Really? Um, yeah. He said, Catherine McCarthy's extraordinary saga gives a stone a voice. Might it be a distant cousin of those rocks that inhabit a nightmarish landscape in Machen's The White People? As well as a heart unhappily close to human, it has the soul of the land it inhabits, on whose behalf it exacts a terrible revenge. Then he says that the author makes us care about the dilemma and the suffering of such an object is an achievement close to mystical. So I was really proud of that quote. It was really beautiful. And I think that's uh, one of the highlights for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm teary-eyed. That's oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's such a beautiful recommendation of, of your stories. Wow. Yeah. I hope you frame Coming that. from the man, Ramsey Campbell yeah. himself. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. I was really, really, I, I don't particularly like the word proud, but I couldn't help but feel proud when that came through, you know. So it was lovely to hear. So what was something important that you learned or discovered while composing and compiling your anthology? Um, well, first of all, I needed to do quite a bit of historical research for some of the stories because a lot of them are set, you know, over 100 years ago. Um, so I discovered lots about local places such as Abercastle and Porthgain, how they turned from being sleepy fishing villages to centres of brick and slate quarrying in the 19th century. And those industries then declined again in the early part of the 20th century. So that was something that was quite interesting. Um, I think as well as a writer, and I, I would imagine this is true of everybody who writes, 
when you write, you learn a little more about yourself, those things that are there, but they're in our subconscious. And those things in life that irk you and those the things that worry you, um, I think putting pen to paper actually gives those things voice. That's certainly true for me. And I know I've heard that said by a lot of writers as well. Um, for example, in um, Koblenai is particularly the theme is particularly about how I feel angry about society's lack of care for its elderly and the way they are treated. That that that's really sort of powerful in Koblenai. And I know I've brought a few people to tears with that story. <laughs> um, also, environmental issues such as those I hint at in Carrick Samson with the plastic pollution and so on. Um, writing has always been a good outlet for my angst. And oh, and, and sort of as far as Lua goes, the story set on the fishing lake, I knew nothing about fishing because I actually have a maggot phobia. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I learned I had to do some research on the different types of fishing Lua for the story. So I learned quite a bit about fishing, actually. <laughs> and Catherine, following on that, what would you say is the main thing that you wanted to accomplish with this with this collection? Um, really, I wanted to reignite the passion for Welsh folklore and horror that, that is actually set in Wales. I know, you know, it's been done many times and there are quite a few really good Welsh horror writers and a lot of folklore, but a lot of it is historical. So I wanted to bring that into the modern setting as well. We, we are very fortunate in Wales because we have a wealth of history and some incredibly atmospheric places which are ripe for storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, in, in one of the reviews, my collection, Mr. Meglis, has been called a mini Mabinogion. Now, obviously, being from the US, you might not have heard of the Mabinogion, or at least lots of your listeners won't have. But it's a very famous 14th century collection of tales um, that draws on Celtic mythology, folklore and the history of Wales. So to have Mr. Meglis compared to a mini Mabinogion is just wonderful. So that I'm quite sort of um, proud of as well, I feel is an accomplishment. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes, definitely. Now, finally, even though we've been talking about Miss Megliths, we do want to close out with saying that you actually have a novella coming out this summer called Immortal. I was yeah. hoping that you could tell us a little bit about that as well. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, Immortal, even though the title is French, Immortel is actually set in Wales as well. It's set on the coast close to where I live in a little tiny village called Munt, which is basically a seaside a little hamlet. There's hardly anything there, just a few farms. But there's a tiny white church right on the coast. Um, so that's the setting. Um, Immortel started out as a short story told from the point of view of a child ghost. But it's sort of the story haunted me and I couldn't let go of it. So the characters and so on, everything about it. So I developed it into a novella and in doing so completely changed the point of view and so on. Um, it, it's inspired by Victorian immortels, which I don't know if you're familiar with them, but there are right there are quite a lot in the us but they started off in europe and then they spread the use of them spread to britain and the us throughout the 18th and 19th century and into the 20th century 
and they're basically a permanent memorial to the dead so it's a type of memento mori um they're they're made of ceramic and they're enclosed in a glass dome so um like my little church which is literally a minute's walk down the road they still have they're victorian they are they, they still have quite a lot of them in the graveyard and you can see quite a lot in graveyards the very old graveyards around you a lot of them obviously have got weeds growing through now and the glass has been smashed but that sort of adds to the charm mm -hmm. um I'm also interested in the way in which death has been celebrated, for want of a better word, throughout history and throughout other cultures. Um, my husband did an arts degree, which specialised in ceramics, and then he ran night classes afterwards. So I have a little knowledge of the process of ceramics. And we also collect studio ceramics. We have a, quite a few pieces at home. <laughs> So Immortelle is essentially a ghost story told from the point of view of a bereaved mother who also happens to be a ceramicist and is set around the turn of the 20th century. Um, when her daughter Rowena dies, she crafts a personalised Immortelle for Rowena's grave and she incorporates a starling which is supposed to represent, um, is supposed to, the bird is supposed to carry the voice of the dead in mythology um, she was hoping to she hopes to capture a daughter's spirit in the bird mm -hmm. i won't say too much about it because i don't want to give too much away she also models tiny snowdrops out of clay um, which are the symbol of ill omen and death but they were also her daughter's favorite flower and instead of a stamen in the snowdrop she places a tiny little bell so that her daughter Rowena can talk, call to her by ringing the bell from the grave if ever she wants her mother to come. So that's basically the gist of it. Um, but the thing is, when others see her accomplishment with the Immortel, others in the village and the towns roundabouts, soon she finds herself inundated with requests for Immortels from other people who have lost their loved ones. And as she crafts each piece in a personalised way, so she learns about the people, she speaks to their relatives and what, asks what sort of things they liked and so on. So, for example, she crafts one with a ship after a shipwreck and so on. The, 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 the ghosts of the people deceased come to talk to her and eventually they reveal the truth to her behind her daughter's death because she always suspected that it was foul play. Mm -hmm. And the finale is basically a tale of ultimate revenge for her daughter's, daughter's death. So that's it in a nutshell without giving spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds haunting. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a wonderful tale. I'm Thank you. read that because I, I, of course, oh, I love ghost stories. That's probably one of my favorites. So um, you are just singing to my heart. Oh, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> It's very sort of, um, I don't know, just the same voice again. I like stories set in the past and a lot of sort of, there's a lot, I, I weave in quite a lot of the magic of nature, plants and the powers of the supernatural powers associated with folk, the folklore of plants and so on. And also the um, ingredients from the glazes as well. I weave those into the story quite well. So, sort of a bit of magical realism, really. Oh, sounds, well, it sounds magical. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Well, that's all the questions that we have, Catherine. Thank you so yeah. very much for coming on the show to talk about your collection and also kind of give a little preview for your upcoming novella. Oh, thank you both so much. You've been so kind. And that concludes the final transmission for this episode. We want to say thank you to Oliver Bear, who provided the opening bumper for this episode. He wrote and edited Letters to the Editor of Sex Cthulhu magazine, and his short stories and poetry have been published in Goodreads Best Short Stories 2019 and Horror Writers Association Poetry so Showcase Volume 2, respectively. We wish him much success with his various writing projects. On episode 40 of HP Lovecast, we'll be discussing Vinegar Teeth, a four-issue Dark Horse comic book series written by Damon Gentry and illustrated by Troy Nixie. This episode will post Sunday, June 6th. And on episode 10 of HP Lovecast Presents uh, Fragments, we'll be discussing the 1959 film Caltiki, the Immortal Monster, an Italian black-and-white science fiction horror film directed by Riccardo Freda and Mario Bava. That episode will post Sunday, June 20th. If you have enjoyed this segment of HP Lovecast and want to share your feedback, or if you are interested in being a guest on Transmissions, please contact us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com, and of course you can also email us at hplovecast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books we have either edited or contributed to with individual essay chapters. Or if you feel like donating a dollar too, we have a coffee account. A link is provided in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening.